there's no greater rivalry in college sports than Duke and North Carolina. I let you down. Let me pick you on. I let you down. Oh, hello, everybody. Welcome back to Tobacco Road. <laughs> it's, uh... Sound like somebody beat you up. I, I do feel like somebody beat me up, Bart. This is, uh, in case you can't already figure it out from the tone of my voice, this is Zeke Smith representing the Carolina contingent here on the Blue vs. Blue podcast covering Tobacco Road and all of its burned glory tonight <laughs> as the Duke contingent is celebrating all the way back to Durham. It's, uh, it's not a good scene here in Chapel Hill. There's, a, there's much weeping and gnashing of teeth, and unfortunately... Today I am joined again by two guys who are going to fill me full of lead, verbally, uh, and that is the Duke contingent, Mr. Bart Matthews. Hey, hey, wait, wait! I'm going to do an impression. See if you can guess. See if you can guess what this is. Okay, okay. ready? Okay, here it goes. Okay, you guys know what that was? That's the Dean Dome when Dexter Strickland comes out of the game on senior night. Ooh. Oh, low blow. Oh. Low. Yeah. That's that's yeah, not right. fair. Most of the Dean Dome was gone by then. That's, <laughs> that's, that's all I can say. state to see the end. You can't speak for us fans who weren't there. All right. <laughs> and and joining Bart is Alex Smith, my brother. Yes, I'm I'm wearing my my uh, my ski mask today from the Continued Durham crimes that per- were perpetuated on uh, on Chapel Hill last night. They, the, cri- the Durham crimes based crime spree continued. Yeah, yes, robbing UNC of their joy and happiness and joie de vivre. <laughs> yeah, I would go. I would say that was more of a direct assault, not not uh-huh. just uh, breaking and entering, but that was <laughs> not cat burglary in the night. That was just a straight up like prison yard beatdown. Yeah, exactly. You took a shank to. You know, <laughs> The Tar Heels, unfortunately. Cell Block D. So we'll we'll get to some postseason awards and and some final thoughts on the ACC season in general. But uh, but let's spend just a couple of sad sad minutes recapping the uh, the great matchup that was not uh, round yeah. two of Duke Carolina. Boy, and, were we wrong about that? <laughs> were, weren't we? We were just. We were really not close. Three, three for three on that on that really good game, high scoring game. You know, expecting a good matchup uh, potential there. Yeah, Wrong. everybody really looking forward to a classic, and uh, and that one is going straight into ESPN toilet. Yeah, where what, that one's headed. What happened there, Zeke? Do you think it was? Um, um, were we looking at a function of of Carolina playing poorly or uh, as a percentage? Or Duke playing really, really well as a percentage. Or obviously, it's going to say you're going to say a column A, column B to some extent. But what's the breakdown for what, you? Yeah, what's the breakdown? Yeah, um, I would I would probably say that it's more of a domino effect than than kind of a percentage. I mean, I think Duke playing so well from the the onset just put Carolina into panic mode, and mm-hmm. Carolina has not been in panic mode since before the first Duke game, honestly. I mean, one of the best things that happened to them in the matchup in Cameron was that they came out and played well from the onset, yeah. which let them build some confidence. But that's that's the, exactly the Carolina team that we saw at the beginning of this year who dug themselves into huge holes um, and, and made it worse by, you know, taking long threes and just running a, a horrible offensive set. Um, yeah. Carolina just looked absolutely out of sorts the first half, and I would say that that happened because Duke, you know, just could not miss in the early part of the game. Hit their yeah. first six shots, I think, or seven shots. Yeah, I mean they were they were eleven of fourteen at one point. Just yeah. a- absurd. What, what was it? Seventy percent shooting for the first half. Yeah, and and there were some defensive breakdowns in there, but I but I think that honestly that was just Duke playing so well from the onset and and obviously Seth Curry coming out hot. So I would almost give Duke more credit for playing well than I would give Carolina credit for playing badly. And And you think that and you think that it was Duke's offense putting pressure on Carolina's offense and and making I mean in, in addition to Duke's defense but like coming out so hot 
forcing Carolina into making bad decisions on offense. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And and that's something that we've seen from Carolina is that, you know, with a, a freshman point guard and with a, a still kind of young team, they, they tend to panic a little bit. And, and we've seen that in good ways over the six-game winning streak that they had before the Duke game where when they are in control, they, they kind of roll with things. And when they're up, you know, a dozen and another team chips away at their lead, they manage to compose themselves pretty well. And they, you know, they, they use some of that energy for good uh, and yeah. kind of battle back. But this time they were channeling all their energy into making, you know, one huge play and it was not happening. And for the most part, they were settling for bad, you know, uh, relatively contested long jumpers, possession yeah. after possession. Yeah. You know, the the only thing that I that I will sort of point to and say I wonder what would have happened if that had turned out differently was just that one little turning point in the first few minutes of the game where PJ Hairston got called for a charge um, against Ryan Kelly, and that could have, uh, that could have been an and one. That. That's funny because I, uh, I I kind of agree with you. I think that uh, that Alex had tweeted something about um, who whose drive being the only drive. Oh, the only, Leslie McDonald. The only, the only successful drive in the first half was Leslie McDonald, and that was very near the end of the first and, half. And I made a joke that the only other actual drive was that drive at the beginning of PJ Harrison. It's like, and he he committed the the charge on a fifty fifty play, and it's like everyone decided that well. Driving the ball is clearly a bad idea. Yeah, so we exactly. Don't do that anymore. And I, th- I think had that gone differently, I think the score right, right then was Duke seven nothing, or maybe Duke nine nothing even, and that would have been notably different than you know if it was nine three and like you said, Carolina had converted successfully an aggressive play going inside, yeah, and that might have changed the mindset. I mean, I think I think the other thing that was plainly on display was that McAdoo played relatively well, hitting some yeah. jumpers. But the problem was that all he was doing was taking jumpers, and I, I think his back is very clearly bothering him. I mean, we we put up a little article, uh, you know, the day before the game, saying that he had missed two days of practice, um, and he did participate on a limited basis um, the day before the game but still did not really look like himself. Or maybe from your perspective, Alex, did look like himself. But, yeah, uh, that's the old JMM I know. Well, six, six for 14. Th- six for 14, but, I mean, three rebounds. And that sort of backs up what, what Zeke is, is saying a little bit, is that he wasn't not only not taking it at the rim, he wasn't really around the rim at all. Yeah. Like, like three rebounds, That is that a season low for him? I'm going to guess that it is. Probably. probably. There, there have been a, a couple of other games um, before UNC implemented the small ball offense where he was getting double teamed a lot, and it still allowed Bullock to you know, pick up double-digit rebounds and things like that. But I would say that's probably, if it's not his season low, I would be really surprised. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's probably a function of, you know, Duke not missing many shots and, uh, you know, Carolina not having him underneath the basket to be in position to even – offensive rebound when things were were going wrong but overall it was just it was a mess so and, I mean, we, and, and it may very well have been that Carolina was a little bit of a victim of its own success coming into this game that they sort of believed that the small ball offense was going to carry them from the perimeter right uh you know to a victory and so that's where they were trying to do all their damage well they, they also didn't they didn't in the first 10 minutes of the game didn't have a single offensive rebound they finished with 16 and those kind of came in flurries, uh, but that was another problem early on. Was Duke was getting all the defensive rebounds in that that confidence instilling and confidence or or panic inducing, depending on which side of the rivalry you're on. First ten minutes of the game, and Carolina was never closer than nine. So my question then to you is, Zeke, who who's most to blame? I mean, who who shoulders the biggest portion of the blame from the Carolina perspective for this performance? Is it a player or players? Is it coach? Um, well, I am probably going to point the finger directly at Frank Tanner since, ah. you know, he started the game. And, uh, <laughs> I'm going to point the finger at Roy Williams for not putting in Luke Davis. <laughs> Literally the problem. Yeah, and subbing out all five guys. Blue Steel lineup. Yeah, Blue Steel never got in. That's why. That's why. Um, I, don't, I, I don't know if there's one particular individual to be singled out on this game. I, I, might, I might point the finger at Marcus Page, honestly. Yeah, he, he was not good. He was, he was really bad, and he, and he was as bad 
um, as I've seen him this year, just in terms of panicking, getting up in the air without knowing what he wanted to do with the ball. Even sometimes when he didn't turn the ball over, he got Carolina into bad situations uh, late in the shot clock and sort of having a pass that was still managed to be corralled by somebody on the perimeter but wasn't hitting them in the numbers, you know, in rhythm, allowing them uh, to, to shoot or anything like that. Yeah, it was just I, I I can't really point to anybody who had a good game um, for Carolina. That's that's how poor of a performance it was. Dexter yeah, Strick, Dexter Strickland probably gets a, a big wag of the finger for me as well. I mean, he kind of set a poor tone for Carolina early by trying to make it his senior night and taking a lot of those long jumpers that you know he should only be taking when Carolina is up fifteen, and we can laugh about it if he misses them. Yeah, and he is a big fan of the um, of the worst shot in the world, which is the 19 foot uh, early in the shot clock. Early in the shot clock, jump challenge shot, just inside the three point line, pull up jumper. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I I, I'm, I mean, I'm curious from your perspective, like whether as Duke fans, you you feel like you guys can take anything meaningful away from this game, or whether you feel like it was just a case of Carolina playing so poorly i mean what's what's your perspective on that i want to pat myself on the back a little bit because at the end of the last podcast i talked about the fact that i felt like carolina had yet in their little in their winning streak to play a team that had legitimate offensive low post uh capabilities um that maryland while big doesn't really possess a top flight caliber scoring big and there really isn't one in the acc um outside of uh outside of Mason Plumley, That's like, fair, but I, I mean, even then, I don't know that that's what really hurt them in the first half. No, it, it didn't. I mean, he was... No, in the, but it did in the second half. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he rattled off those those ten straight, but I... Yeah, I think I mean, by, I, then, by then, things were already spiraling down downhill. True, but where, where I'll tie that into to your question is that, you know, Duke, once again, if you double-team Mason Plumley, then you leave Brian Kelly open and they and Carolina chose not and Ryan Kelly didn't have a good game at all by by any standards was in foul trouble finished with eight points and three rebounds did not hit a single three-pointer so so to that Carolina defended him really well but they kind of made the choice that they weren't going to double Mason and they paid for it yeah and and to and to me going forward that there you are if you want to double team Mason then Ryan's going to get open looks and if you don't Mason is, despite what a lot of people seem to think, going to, will beat you one on one. He is strong, big enough and strong enough to do that. So that that in our defensive performance, Alex. Yeah, I would say just bringing bringing this section to a close. Uh, that that this this to me looked a lot like a case of Duke being well rested. They had a nice layoff yeah. before mm-hmm. this game. Um, yeah. And they're going to have another big one before their first ACC game. So especially for Ryan Kelly and especially for Seth Curry, who came out on fire, like that extra rest is probably really, really helpful. Yeah. And they they looked they looked the part of the rested and and much better team. It, it was com- compounded by the fact that Carolina played in kind of a panicky way. That we saw, it's like exactly the team we saw against Butler and Indiana early in the season. That just didn't seem to be able to break out of the mold of what they were doing wrong, not being able to drive the ball. Yeah, uh, and and I, 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 that would be the point. I would pat myself on the back, saying I'm not sure that Carolina has the team to really hurt Duke oh. where they're vulnerable defensively. Yeah, actually, actually, I, Alex, I was going to point this out because I remember you saying this that. That Duke's defense had been particularly victimized by Eric Green and Shane Larkin doing the the one good moment Marcus Page had was where he drove into the lane and had made that little floater. Yeah. Uh, and and I suddenly thought of what you said, which was you know Carolina's team as configured isn't the kind of team to give Duke problems in the way that Shane Larkin and Eric Green did, um, driving around the double team, getting into the lane, floaters, uh, drop off stuff like that. And you're you're absolutely right. Yeah. And, and more specifically, Paige got himself into trouble, get up in the air with no one to pass at least three times that I can remember. Yeah, so. definitely. Yeah, I mean, I think it, I, th- I think just to bring it to a close, as you were saying, it was it was a case of Carolina maybe not being 
quite who we thought they were, and Duke is who we, you know, expected them to be um, once they got Ryan Kelly back, which is, yeah. you know, um, and and maybe that's just maybe that's just who these teams are, as they are separated by a you know ten point differential right now, and Carolina could play above its head a little bit and close that gap, or or Duke could play pretty poorly, but. Overall, that was a that was an ugly performance. That was Duke playing well and Carolina playing badly on the same night, which just yeah. And I think it's a little recognition too of the fact that Carolina likes to likes to shoot jump shots. I mean, Bullock and Hairston and and Duke's defense, as we talked about last time too, is particularly oriented to stopping three point shooting. And so had the rec- the lack of recognition and the need to drive the ball against Duke's defense wasn't wasn't really there. So in the intervening period between now and Saturday, maybe they figure out, out something about that. Yeah, yeah. And, and should we meet again on Saturday, things will be more interesting. I yeah, hope let's not. hope so. Let's hope so. <laughs> All right. So let's sweep that under the rug and never speak of it again. <laughs> um, but it's time to uh, it's time to chat for just a few minutes since we are at the end of the ACC season before the ACC tournament. Um, hand out some postseason hardware and then talk briefly about the ACC tourney. Um, let's start with with the postseason awards. And we talked a little bit before we got on this podcast um, about who we we thought was deserving of first team, second team, third team, and maybe a few honorable mentions on the All ACC ballot. Um, Alex, I'm going to hand it over to you and tell us, uh, reveal to the the listeners who we had given first team all ACC honors to. Well, there's I feel like there's going to be consensus around four of these five guys. Yep. Um, Green, Joe Harris, Mason Plumley, and Shane Larkin got to got to be on most people's first team yeah. ballots. Yeah. And I, I don't think there's really much of an argument around any of those guys. No. Sure. Um. And the what we what we were debating was that fifth spot on the starting first team, and the people in contention for that um, are Richard Howe, Seth Curry, maybe Bullock, um, and for us it was really more of a coin flip between. I think Ryan Anderson more than Bullock, but yeah. Uh, was uh, was Richard Howell and Seth Curry was kind of a coin flip, and and uh, to me the tipping point was that Howell was the most important player per- perhaps on on his own team and a, a really good rebounder a good defender more than just to score is more than just to score and, when, and and actually played pretty consistently for state this year when yeah. they did not get that from other areas of the floor yeah and was, his acc numbers were fantastic weren't they yeah led led the acc in rebounds so so richard howell gets the nod on the first team so then, uh, second team. Some of the me- names I've already mentioned. Uh, we have Seth Curry, Reggie Bullock, uh, Zoe Brown, uh, Ryan Anderson, who is definitely deserving. Had a yeah. amazing year. And and then uh, maybe a guy that kind of like plays above his numbers. Uh, we actually put Kenny Kaji on the second team, and that was largely there's a there's kind of a mess of guys that numbers wise are, you know, kind of lumped together, or you could think, oh well, you know make an argument one way or the other. And, and for us, the, the breakdown was kind of the eyeball test. And Kaji is such a, a versatile offensive player. Um, he's also 25 years old. So <laughs> <laughs> playing against boys. He's so had he's some practice. He's seven years younger than he. Yeah, I think he's got a lot of NBA. I think he's got an NBA career ahead of him. So, um, but, but did, did finish with 14 and almost seven in ACC play. Um, so we gave him the nod on the second team, and again, for the for the reason that to the victor go the spoils. They finished first in the ACC, their first ACC regular season title. He, uh, he played pretty big in some of their biggest games. Yeah, so. what was was a was a was a force down low when Reggie Johnson missed time. So we we gave him the nod over some people that statistically maybe have better numbers. People like C.J. Leslie. Um, Akil Mitchell. Hold on, we're on the third team. On to, on to the third team, yeah, sorry, I, I, sh- I should have said that. So people then on the third team, C.J. Leslie, Akil Mitchell from Virginia, who ended up having a really get, great year, playing really well in ACC play, mm-hmm. leading the league in field goal percentage. In ACC play. In ACC play, um, fourth in rebounds. Uh, James Michael Flop at McAdoo. Uh, uh-huh. uh I'm sorry. And he did hurt his back drawing a charge, they said last night. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, 
Alex Len and uh, and then Quinn Cook on the third team as well, who who really stepped up in a big way. It's it's easy to forget where where he was last year Whoa, and boy. how quickly he emerged this season. But um, and I think some of the buzz maybe you know he he didn't get as much buzz because he didn't perform quite at the high level that he performed out of conference when you know he he was really catching yep. a lot of headlines in Duke's early season play and maybe yep. didn't have the same eye popping numbers that he did out of conference and so yep. but it's the shine wore off just a little bit but a little but in, in ACC play in particular his num his numbers and Shane Larkins are almost identical, identical on every level yeah he's a, has a, a few more assists a little bit better assist to turnover ratio is only slightly behind him in steals, only slightly behind him in scoring, is uh, finishes ahead of him in rebounding, um, but but we're not really. But again, in an eyeball test kind of way, Shane Larkin like really dominated uh, most most of his matchups, and is a, was a was a matchup problem. Um, you know, maybe scoring wise was not necessarily as dominant. And then honorable mention all ACC, we got our our Wake Forest pair. Travis McKay and C.J. Harris, two two guys that I think easy easy to like guys and hard again deserve number, a better future somewhere. <laughs> yeah, deserve, deserve a better present. Yeah, <laughs> and um, and then we we put Michael Snare in the in the honorable mention category only because the only because he's hit several game winners and he's won half literally won like half of Florida State's games for them. Yeah, yeah, that's why I was trying to find a spot for him on the third team. But just going systematically through guy by guy, it's hard to argue that he had a better ACC season than you know anybody on that third team list. Yeah, pretty I... pretty hard to. I mean, when when you look at our preseason ballots and the guys who were you know, expected to be the all ACC first teamers, some of which were, you know, in contention for all America status. Um, it's pretty hard to, to believe, you know, how far some of those guys fell or, you know, who didn't live up to the billing. And I guess that's, I mean, that's where we're kind of getting to next, right? We actually put together a, a, an all disappointment team. Yes. Uh, our, our, uh, our disappointing player of the year is, you want to say this, Zeke? Drum roll. Calvin, yeah. don't call me CJ Leslie. Dun, yeah. Dun, dun, dun. yeah not- and man, did it did did anybody see or hear about his performance yesterday? Um, putting putting NC State on the brink of playing on Thursday where in the ACC tournament. Yeah, he picked up three fouls in the first ten minutes. Um, I, I forget what his exact numbers were, but they were bad enough that one of one an, an NC State fan was escorted from. Uh, the game after throwing a bottle at him. <laughs> As an NC State fan throwing a bottle at C.J. Leslie. Yeah, he um, finished with five points, three boards. Up. Yeah, five points, three boards. How many turnovers? Uh, just two, but that's wow. probably because he only played 18 right. minutes. So. He was limited by foul trouble. It was a game not unlike the game he had against Carolina most yeah. recently, where he just stood there and turned the ball over. Um, and then we... Uh, you know, other other people in the in in the running for on the on the all most disappointing team, Michael Snare. Our, we already talked about was somebody we we thought was going to be first team All ACC. And uh, a lot of people remember if we go back to the beginning of the year, had as a first team All American. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Al Featherston picked him to be the Player of the Year in the conference. So um, Reggie Johnson, who just Boy. really. I mean, had struggled with some injuries, but was just a non-factor. And I'll take the hit. I, I, I mean, I know we all thought he was going to be better than he ended up being, but I, for me, in terms of what I expected him to do versus what he actually did, might be the most disappointing player of the year. And I know he got hurt, hurt by injuries again, um, but yeah, but that I mean, that is still probably part of the part of the equation, I guess. And when and when he showed you what he's capable of. When he's healthy, you know, last year and still was not living up to that this year when at the times when he was healthy, I think that's still kind of warranted. Yeah, Yeah. I'm just as guilty, too. I thought I thought he was going to have a fantastic year and especially watching him against Duke where he couldn't even catch a pass. Yeah. And finished finished 0 for 5 and, uh, you know, took took more off the table than he brought to it. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. And here's one uh, here's one for discussion that that we put on the most disappointing 
player list. And, and I, I, Marcus Page, and I, I only say that because um, it's probably a little bit colored by the last couple of games. But um, and, and he was the number four point guard coming in. I don't, I don't mean to. I mean the guy did finish in the top five in the ACC in assists. Well, just in terms of disappointment, and Zeke, you can really speak to this. Did, has he gotten to where you thought he would? Has he been as the number four point guard coming out? And yes, he's a freshman, but like, would you describe him as disappointing? Yeah, I think that that's a really hard thing to measure. I, I probably wouldn't class his season as being particularly disappointing just because uh- – at the beginning of the year, most people were were most worried about his performance. I mean, they weren't really expecting him to, um, you know, take the reins as as being the next great Tar Heel point guard, and uh, and lead Carolina to you know a, a top two finish in the ACC or or anything of that nature. I think if you probably took the temperature of the room, um, you know, Carolina fan wise at the beginning of the year people would have been cautiously optimistic that he would be good but not great. Right. And and I would say that that's probably where he ended up numbers-wise uh, here here at the end of the ACC season. I mean, he, he progressed a lot. It was fun to watch him grow. There's certainly been a bit of, of a regression the last two games against Maryland and Duke, and I think that's going to be well worth watching here in the ACC tournament and in the NCAAs. But, yep. you know, for somebody who's like a – I think he was a top thirty-five prospect in his in his conf- in uh, in his class. Mm-hmm. I, I'd say that that that's okay. You know, it would have it would have been good to see him really elevate uh, the rest of the team and and do really well. But he was a uh, yeah, he was solid if unspectacular. <laughs> All right, um, the guy that you had mentioned also Zeke Nick Faust yeah. from Maryland, who who is one of Alex's favorite um, sort of breakout players coming into this year and. I know neither you nor I, Zeke, New York, you nor I disagreed with that assessment. One thing I will say about that is that he was pressed into point guard play. Yeah, playing, for Maryland. Out, of, playing out of position was 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 not helping him this season. But he was someone that you know, just from an eyeball point of view, I was like, man, he's going to come out from the uh, from from the rock, and there are going to be plenty of shots for him. He's going to play really. I expected him to play really well. And Ian Miller is another guy that. You know, a lot of available minutes at Florida State, and you think, like, ah, oh, there's a lot of talent. He's going to emerge and just was a complete no-show. Last year he averaged, I just remembered this, he averaged 10 points a game in about 20 minutes per game. And this year he averaged 6 points per game in 19 minutes per game. So that is a regression. Yeah. Yeah, so, that, I mean, that that just proves you can never take a guy's stats and just extrapolate them into yeah. minutes. I mean, that, well, he, he was actually more effective coming off the bench. Wow, yeah. And shooting. I, I mean, I, I think that kind of is where when you look at our our you know second team and third team all ACC and or even the the honorable mention guys, it just shows you you know some everybody on those teams and even in this most disappointing list that we are, are talking about now had some big games. You know, C.J. Leslie had some big games, um, yeah. even to his credit. But the problem with a lot of these performers and the ACC in general this year is just how mercurial it was. Yeah. Um, and even a guy like Alex Len, who yeah. you know came in with a certain amount of hype, did well in some games, but just disappeared in others. Totally disappeared. Yeah. And and that's that's why guys make the all disappointing list. And it's it's even more to the credit of somebody. I can't believe I'm actually opening my mouth to say this uh, to, to someone like Mason Plumley, who is probably the only guy on our all ACC first team at the beginning of the season who made it at the end of the season and deserves some recognition for that, that he's actually the only guy who lived up to the certain amount of hype that he had. Yeah, that is, that is an excellent point. I actually hadn't occurred to me. <laughs> um, that's, that's a great point, and 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 largely was was a consistent performer. Had some bad games, but not like three, not not eye gougingly bad games. Yeah, and um, uh, so now we'll move to uh, we'll quickly just sort of go through the all defensive team. Not a whole ton to say about uh, these guys, yeah, but sure. uh, Julian Gamble from Miami, who is uh, a surprisingly uh, just sort of maybe most surprising player, a guy that really had never done anything of note. And has played really well for them. But another experienced player who benefited from Reggie Johnson's absence. Yeah. Uh, Michael Snare, 
gets on there just because he's a good defender and that doesn't change. Yeah. Um, Shane Larkin leading the league in steals uh, mm-hmm. per game. Yeah, uh, very sneaky. Alex Len, he's tall, block shots. <laughs> uh, he's effective sometimes. And then, uh, and then uh, a, a, a surprising guy, KJ McDaniel's from who we will be hearing more from in the future from Clemson, who was six six and led the league in block shots. Yeah, which I couldn't believe when he told me. But I mean, seeing seeing his, you know, his athleticism on display in the limited uh, chances that we got to see Clemson this year. Yeah, um, right. I yeah. wonder if a guy that size has ever led the ACC in block shots, to tell you the truth. That's, that, 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 that would be something worth researching, and if I cared about Clemson more, I might do it. But. <laughs> um, yeah, that's really and, interesting. Durant Scott, I feel like, is also in that conversation just for me, kind of in that Michael Snare mode in terms of just being a really good, solid defender, uh, mm-hmm. a thorn in the side kind of a guy. Um, then maybe talking about most improved, that's an interesting uh, category. Um, there's uh, really three people that I think fit in the in the conversation. Quinn Cook, who we already mentioned, you know, from last season to this, like made a huge leap. Uh, Ryan Anderson, who had a good freshman season, but was really again a, a very consistent performer. Um, Shane Larkin has got to be in that conversation, of course, as well. Because you know, again, for all of the reasons we've already described, yeah. But to, but to me, I, the, the winner of the award is Akil Mitchell, mostly because he was completely not on the radar at oh, all, at all, at, yeah. At Virginia, and uh, had such a, yeah, such a, a really good ACC campaign for the season. Finished, you know, was was fourteen and seven point eight ACC uh, scoring was about the same. Rebounds was better. Like I already said, great, great field goal percentage and, and filling the void for Virginia down low that Mike Scott left. And you thought like, oh, they don't have anybody down there who's going to do anything. As good as Joe Harris has been, and he, Raquel Mitchell's improvement is the, the most important thing to Virginia's success. I yeah, absolutely. And, and, and again, I mean, like every time I think about Virginia, I, I hear Bart kind of echoing in my mind saying my respect for Tony Bennett is immense. Yeah. And I mean, you see the way that he continues to, to succeed at Virginia and outperform expectations in years where we are seeing so many teams underperform their expectations. He, he definitely deserves a little bit of credit. He's not going to get too many coach of the year votes probably um, for finishing, you know, fourth or fifth in the conference. But nonetheless, that's, that's really impressive considering how, uh, how much Virginia could have struggled with a lesser coach? I guess. Yeah, there, there's not, there's not, it's not to say there's not bruises on on their 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 peach, but um, but they're competitive in every game. They didn't get blown out. They didn't get blown out by Miami like Duke and Carolina did. I have a uh, yeah. I I mean, I he would actually be my coach of the year. I already wow. I know. I know. I like I like Tony Bennett a lot. I, <laughs> I just I do. I mean. I know, and we, we can talk about that in a second, but um, but yeah, I think he's a, he's he's a good, really good coach. All so right. Let's go. To, uh, let's go to rookie of the year. Yeah, rook, rook, all uh, all rookie team all rookie or new, team. new newcomer team, whatever. Well, who's the, who's the newcomer of the year? This uh, this this is the the worst kept secret is actually um, Olivia Hanlon from from Boston College. Um, I think Rashid Suleiman um, and probably T.J. Warren were in that conversation. Uh, you know. Half halfway through, yeah, definitely. Uh, but especially in the last few games, it's 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 very interesting, like how much that may end up coloring people's judgment. Rashid Suleiman has totally receded, and another terrible game against Carolina. But Hanlon uh, finished in the top ten in scoring, fifteen a game in ACC play. Yeah, um, I think he's in the top ten at free throw shooting too. I'm and sure. that's another. Pr- uh, prediction early in the season that I want to pat myself on the back for when we were talking about the the dreck of the ACC and I'm thinking like which of those teams do we think most likely to rise out of the dreck and I I said Boston College they promptly came out of the gate and looked terrible I think lost their first three <laughs> ACC games but finished seven eleven and which is like, a minor miracle for 
for where yeah, people had expected them to finish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. only freshmen and, and sophomores. Yeah, we'll, we'll return every single player next year. Um, so. so, but other 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 players in, for the, for the all rookie team. T.J. Warren definitely makes it for us. Uh, Suleiman, Marcus Page, largely just by playing a lot of minutes, finishing and, and process of elimination. There's not really another uh, significant, you know, freshman point guard out there. Rahone, Joe Rahone from from Boston College, yeah. played well. Yeah. 10, 3, and 3. Like, Who I belittled. <laughs> in our preseason. <laughs> That's what I get. Yeah. So, um, For not knowing anything. And Devin Thomas uh, from Wake deserves mention as well. He was one of those guys, like, hard to keep off the top five. He would be our, our, our uh, scintillating sixth man off the rookie bench, finishing with 9 and 8 um, on, on the year. Again, providing some low post presence for, for Wake Forest, an abysmal Wake Forest team. And um, Rodney Purvis deserves mention. I mean, he started for NC State, was not a dominant offensive force, um, you know, was not even the best rookie on his team. And, and, and well, and he might get the most disappointing rookie yes. award, I guess, if we were handing that out. Yes, which is kind of a not very nice award to hand out. But, yeah, we could, uh, we could definitely I, – I, I, in terms of expectation, it's, I don't think it's close. Yeah. 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 Well, Mostly because, again, because we expect and that's everyone. our that's our fault, not really his fault. Yeah, it's it's just so hard. I mean, that's that's a really unfair thing to do to guys coming out of high school, yeah. to, like project how they're going to play in in college because it's so it's so hard to tell. Yeah, and depends on so many other things. So let's give uh, so so we can give final big awards here. We already kind of touched on Coach of the Year, and it's Larry Nega. And just to backtrack really quick, yeah. but you know Miami stumbled down the end of the year, and I think just in terms of doing more with less, that's that's why I would say that's a, why you would go with Tony Bennett. I would just say a strong, strong runner-up for Tony Bennett because they had Bupkis, and and they were playing without a point guard for the first I don't remember how many games. Um, they lost Malcolm Brogdon for the year, who was their their. Good, really good rookie from last year. They didn't have John Tell Evans for like the first ten games, <laughs> and they didn't have a lot to begin with. So that, that and but we're all in agreement that it's Larry Nega, yeah. coach of the year. Yeah, right? I think so yeah, um, uncoach of the year or roach of the year, roach of the year, pouch <laughs> of the year. Uh, my my vote. This might be a dissent because I get the feeling I know who you guys are going to vote for, but but I I'm going to hand it out to Jeff Biz, uh, Bizdelic. Who, uh, <laughs> who somehow, with even incredibly low expectations, managed to anger the fan base time and time again, even further eroding his already tenuous uh, position. And, yeah, uh, I got an ad in the paper I saw recently, the yeah. students, some sort of ad in the paper calling yeah, by, for by a group who is looking to get him fired. So. Yeah, it takes, a, it takes a special um, kind of coach to inspire hatred among a dispassionate fan base um, <laughs> who's, who's been disillusioned for the past few years since Skip Prosser has left. Yeah, Ron Wellman is, is, is standing by his man, but I, that, I'm afraid, is only a matter of time. That yeah, just, he, he's, he's hoping that the, the coach with the, with the hard last name to spell thing in the ACC with terrible first two seasons is going to follow the Mike Schuster track, <laughs> but I'm not It doesn't sur- look like a winning formula so far. Not yet. But our award goes to Mark Godfrey. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, well, I'm, well, notice- I'm noticing a trend. It looks like NC State is sweeping the, uh, the most disappointing <laughs> awards. Well, hmm. which, which, which is also interesting. I, wa- I just want to point out, like, preseason, they're, you know, thought of as the top five team. They, which so is Kentucky. Meanwhile, let's talk about that for a second. How <laughs> preseason polls, straw polls are. Yeah. But, but was the consensus team to finish first in the ACC? You know, have this dominating, you know, starting five, these great freshmen, and they just were were like across the board disappointing. Played played badly against bad teams. Yeah, they played they played to the level of their opponent like few teams I have ever seen, to and, be honest. And just but just like not not a smart team. Really not a smart team. And but I would say among the collective blue versus blue brain trust, we were not necessarily buying the hype there. <laughs> right. And, so let's let's give ourselves one small pat on the back for being right about that at least. Yeah, that, yeah. that we were not picking them to win the ACC, but 
But overall, the, a team that is now in danger of, as I said earlier, playing on Thursday. If Virginia wins, as they should today, uh, we're recording this early Sunday morning. Uh, yeah, State will finish fifth and have to play on Thursday. And I don't think I don't think Godfrey. I think Godfrey is the face of that organization. I actually think Bobby Lutz is the coach of that team. Um, so does he get roaches? The <laughs> they can share it. They can well, they can proudly display that one together. I think Godfrey doesn't. I really just don't think he does much. I think he's a recruiter, and the, the college basketball is full of those guys, like uh, Scott Drew at Baylor, who's also had a horribly disappointing year, who can recruit the mess out of some really good players, but that's about as far as it goes. And then you roll them out there on the court and hope that they get their stuff together enough to perform well yeah it's just a team that is not smart does not even i mean i I mentioned this before i think when we were talking about it either at the beginning of the year or some point in the middle but this is this was a pattern with godfried in his stint at alabama also he was hired in 1998 and within a couple of years uh led them to the first number one ranking in the ap poll in that program's history it's still hard for me to believe that Alabama was ever ranked number one, but uh, and then very quickly spiraled downwards. Yeah, um, he got enough good players together that happened to he happened to get the right stumble across the right formula, basically. Yeah. Um, and yeah, then so, I mean they they won the regular the SEC regular season championship in 2002, and then in you know from <clears throat> from 2006 to 2008 posted lo- losing seasons in the SEC. So it wasn't it wasn't long, uh, which is saying something in the SEC. Yeah, exactly. And it, it 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 wasn't it wasn't long before things started going downhill, and you're already seeing that kind of happen with NC State. It, how interesting will it have been if uh, if you know playing Kansas hard in the NCAA tournament is the highlight of Godfrey's tenure at NC State? Yeah. Um, and then really quickly before we talk about the ACC tournament, Zeke, who is your player of the year? Um. My player of the year uh, probably goes to Mason Plumley. All right, <laughs> I fought I fought against it the past couple of times that we uh, we held held a podcast. But then just looking at Shane Larkin's numbers, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to go with Larkin for player of the year because of how well Miami had done. But I think the fact that they they are uh, stumbling and limping to the finish line a little bit, as we will we will talk about in the ACC tournament preview. Um, you know, Duke, Duke and Carolina do deserve a little bit of credit for their level of consistency. And I think that's why Plumlee, to me, gets player of the year is even when he was poor, he was relatively consistent in terms of putting up some numbers that, that did good things for Duke. And, yeah. uh, and, I mean, even when Carolina was, quote, unquote, bad, they never lost to a team in the ACC that's finishing lower than fifth. Yeah. Um, and I mean, they they still managed to you know grab a third place uh, slot in you know in the conference rankings, which is about where we thought they were going to be. And so, yeah, collectively, both of our teams can feel okay about a lot of things this season. You know, there were there were some highs and some lows, but the way things have ended up have been just about right. I would say. Do, do, do we think that Mason is going to actually win it is the other question. Because uh, Green is getting a lot of pub for leading the country in scoring and and doing it at a very efficient clip, finishing the top ten in field goal percentage. And as a guard and someone who shoots as much as he does, that is impressive. Like, there's no question about that. To, he's not a great three-point shooter, but a good three-point shooter. And and from two-point range... Incredibly you know, effective. Yeah, shot 50, over 50% from two-point range as a guard. And scoring 25 points a game is, and I've come around to this a little bit, is pretty impressive. On a terrible team. It's pretty impressive regardless of how you slice that pie up. Uh, yeah, 25. I think... Uh, I, I know Bart has been in some Twitter arguments uh, <laughs> helping people... Uh, trying to keep an open mind. Trying to keep an open mind. Yeah, which is good. And I, I'm, I was in the same boat. I think um, I created some problems last time, sort of putting that Terrell Stoglin comparison in in uh, in our hearts and minds. We both uh, were talking about that a little bit, but uh, but very clearly, I mean, you know, I didn't watch enough Eric Green this year to know how effective and how good he was. 
Um, and and it, he's a completely different player than Stoglin was. Yeah. Just, you know, from, from the limited amount of time that I got to watch him. But I think my opinion of him was probably colored by him having a really poor couple of games against UNC. Yeah. So, uh, and, you know. And to me, again, like the, the, the tie-breaking thing when even though it's not you know, MVP, it's most right. outstanding player, which, right. which, which changes the criteria a little bit. Right. But again, when, when, when going to the point of sort of splitting hairs, I feel like those three are the guys who are in contention for that award that Mason gets uh, more, uh, I mean, gets the nod for me because third in the, in the ACC in scoring and second in rebounding, like is, is contributing in other ways. Also, Second in, or top top ten in field goal percentage, like he he has been top five in block shots. Yeah, the, mm-hmm. a dominant force on the team that finished second, a game a game out of first place. Also gets punished a little bit for like being a victim of his own good numbers. Like had off games that looked like you know twelve and five. Right. That, that, uh, I guess that's what I that's what I meant. I didn't say it as as well as that, but I guess even his you know off games were not really that off for anybody else in the ACC. Yeah, I mean, so, okay. All right, well, so, very, very quickly, let's, um, let's talk ACC yeah. tournament just for one or two minutes to uh, close out the podcast here. Um, yeah. I know each of us have kind of a different storyline that, that we were looking at, you know, this week and particularly keeping an eye on. Um, Bart, what storyline do you think is the most interesting for the ACC tourney? I am very curious. I will be there um, staring with glazed eyes for 10 hours a day at the court in Greensboro. (laughs) Uh, But I'm really curious to see whether this will be a tournament that's filled with exciting amounts of parity, given how good teams have been at home this year. Even Even the bad teams in the ACC have have been some of them have mm. been really good at home, or even some of the good teams have been really bad on the road. Yeah, depending on how you want to look at it. So there's been enough variability in that to make me curious what's going to happen when it gets on a neutral court. Um, I and I really don't know. I, I think we've seen some parity in years past, just in terms of teams being awful, and it's like who's going to play the worst, and then that team will lose. But I, I feel like. I feel like the way teams match up, I have hope this year that those early round games may be pretty exciting. Um, or at least watchable. Or at least, oh, please, Lord, at least watchable. <laughs> That's Okay, Alex, what do you think? What do you got? Um, well, to me, like, looking looking forward, because uh, who, who cares about those those direct games at this, on, on Thursday <laughs> and maybe even Friday? Is, I care. Is... is <laughs> I'm gonna be there, bleeding my eyes out. Um, is is kind of looking forward to Saturday Saturday uh, games, to semifinal matchups. Um, it it should probably be Duke and Carolina, um, so that will be something worth talking about, worth thinking about. Can Carolina get that terrible, terrible uh, salt water taste out of their mouth um, from their from, tears from uh, from crying in their beers uh, last night? Um, you know, is Duke going to continue to be, uh, you know, a, a title contender? And then on the other side is like, you know, how, how Miami and whoever they're going to be playing, Virginia and NC State really ha- ha- should have some strong motivation to play well to secure their NCAA tournament uh, future. NC State, who yeah. we thought was it was definitely going to be in. To stay at least off the double-digit seed line. Yeah, and Virginia, who's in that bubble, first four in, first first four out, may really need to get some wins in the tournament. Yeah. So, and but, and that's even presuming you know whoever of those ends up at the five slot wins that game. Which, yeah. Which would be really interesting, either for Duke, or, excuse me, for State or Virginia, um, if they were to lose that first round game. Uh, presumably Virginia would probably be out, but man, I really hope state drops to fifth and I really hope it's an interesting game uh, on Thursday. I think, I think all of us around the table here are hoping for that. Cause I, I just want to see the collective Twitter and Facebook freak out by any of my, 
I, State fan. I, I will feel bad for the NC State suicides that might happen if they miss the tournament. But <laughs> a good thing there are no real high bridges around here. Yeah, but they, they've they've been so used getting so used to disappointment that maybe maybe they should be ready for that. Just, <laughs> what do you got, Deke? What about uh, you? I, I think particularly I'm I'm interested in keeping an eye on Miami. Because um, they were a team that I loved watching in the early part of the ACC season. And as I said earlier in the podcast, are kind of limping to the finish now. Um, and, you know, they played Duke great in the matchup in Cameron. But other than that, have looked kind of unimpressive against some lower-tier competition. So um, I, I want to see, you know, can they make it to the championship game and give – you know, Duke or whoever uh, is there on the other side, a, a really good game. You know, are they looking like a team that's getting it together again, or are they looking like a team that is ripe for, you know, an NCAA upset? So I think they're they're my particular storyline. They're my team to watch this weekend. Cool. Lots to look forward to. Indeed. It'll be a, an interesting ACC tournament. So Hopefully, as Alex said, we get another Duke-UNC game to wash that horrible, soapy taste out of our mouth. As, uh, as we always like to say, you know, we, we never have to wait too long, you know, and, and we all sat around after the game last night and thought that took a moment to, like, really appreciate the win because we were like, you know, next Saturday, we might not be feeling this way anymore. Yeah, and, and, so. and, and, would, and would certainly change, even though we... You know, it's been a while since Duke's actually swept the regular season matchup against Carolina. Mm-hmm. I, we could we couldn't remember. I would have to like go back and look, but it's been a number of years. Two thousand ten. Two thousand ten. Oh, two thousand ten. But other than that, I mean, if yes. you don't if you don't count that year, but I mean, not counting. <laughs> but that not counting year. that year, then <laughs> a lot more years. Which good work. Can we yeah. can, we can edit that right? Yeah. Yeah. No problem. No problem. Yeah. It's okay. A lot, there are a lot of things that a lot of us want to forget today, <laughs> mostly on the Carolina side. Uh, there, there's a lot of pieces and parts of seasons both near and far that, uh, that we would like to forget. So, well, you can, you can be sure that there's probably not a lot of Carolina fans that were wanting to listen to this podcast. This, this, <laughs> so. so thanks for the two of you who did, who managed to persevere through that. Thanks, without, Mom, for listening. Without throwing up in your mouth. Yeah, yeah. exactly. All right, so uh, it's time to close this out and uh, hope for a better tomorrow at the ACC tournament. So thanks, as always, for joining me, Mr. Bart Matthews. Go Duke! And Mr. Alex Smith. Go Durham Thugs! (laughs) Signing off for the Carolina Contingent, this is your host, Zeke Smith, wishing for a better tomorrow, saying good night, good luck, and go Heels, go America. Bye, everybody. Driving some of the hottest cars.